This is Eat Sleep Work Repeat, a weekly series of podcasts about happiness and work culture. Hello again, this is Bruce. This is Eat Sleep Work Repeat. I'm Bruce Daisley. Uh, It's episode 45, in fact. Now, this is the second part of an in-depth look into the work of thought leaders. It's all very well looking at academics and people who've done research and investigation. But what about the people who haven't done that? Maybe I've just been unfairly dismissive to people with opinions. So we, we've just done the episode of Tom Goodwin, and here's Chris Barris-Brown. Now, Chris Barris-Brown is a best-selling author. I think he was Penguin's best-selling business author in 2014, and he's a culture consultant. He set up a business called Upping Your Elvis, which their website says is Creative Leadership Capability Company. We train businesses to manage change by giving people creativity, energy, and flexibility. As Chris describes, uh, they provide sort of immersive experiences to improve the culture of leadership teams. Now, these things don't come cheaply. One company told me they'd spent over a million pounds using Upping Your Elvis. So so it's obviously sort of highly demanded, highly coveted, highly priced stuff. Now, the best part, I think, of the chat was Chris talked about something called Talk It Out, which I found really interesting. That's the sort of effectively the power of walking meetings. And in fact, I held this interview back because I was going to do a whole episode about the power of walking meetings. There's a scientist called Marilia Prezzo who's done a paper on it, which is fascinating, just showing really how going for a walk with someone as a meeting can actually liberate a, a different part of your uh, your mind and your, your problem solving. So it's really interesting that he, he goes into that. Chris has written a few books. I read in advance of this, I read his book, Shine, and I read his book, wake up and we talk about both of those at at quite a lot of length so time for the thought leaders here's chris i've spent over 10 years helping the biggest companies in the world get better at innovation if you looked at the most success that we had when you you asked those people you said what is it that made the difference they never said well i've got you know better process and structures they always said, well, I know a bit more about myself, how I should show up, why I can't have ideas with that person. So it was always about the human insight and the behavioral approach. So what I wanted to do was, was get a business that helped people get better at that. So Upping Your Elvis was born and, and the name was inspired by Bono. So when he was doing his third world debt campaign, he used to go into organizations and he wanted to work out who to play with really quickly. So he used to ask a question that I love, which was, who's Elvis around here? Now, every time you ask that, people can answer it because what you're really asking is, who here is a bit of a brand, a maverick, they get stuff done, they break the rules, they're more creative and they love doing it. And I personally believe business needs Elvis more now than ever. And we've all got a bit of it in us. If we know how to bring it out more, we have more fun and we do better work. Right, got it. When I read that in your book, that that goes to show the mistake I made. When I read that in your book... I took that to mean he was saying, looking in the mirror, who's Elvis around here? Oh, Meaning him, he was he was seeking out the Elvis inside him. I guess the, the, the end outcome's the same. We're trying to channel Elvis. Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, the more we can do that, I think the more that we bring our own unique talents to bear um, and therefore the better the work we do. And look, you know, in, in advance today, I read uh, read a couple of your books, I read China, I read the, the latest one. And... Um, the, the interesting thing for me, Shine very much felt like it was trying to take the energy of, I, I could almost see that this was a session that you might run. It was like, it felt like a shot of caffeine. Yeah. Um, and I guess the flip side of that, you might say, is it, it didn't feel evidenced. 
you know, it, it felt like it was sort of an emotional journey. Can you talk me through how like your sessions go when you work with companies? It's a really interesting insight, actually, because I, I wrote Shine and it, it went very well. And then I went back to Penguin and said, I've got another book. And they said, could you possibly do some research on this one? So you're absolutely right. So Shine was purely through my own experience. So working with great companies around the world, um, we learn as we do. And, and that's my favorite way of learning. So I'm not much into theories or academia. I'm much more about doing stuff in practice. And uh, all our workshops are based on that. So we would basically, we would set up a principle, some type of thing for somebody to try. They would go and do it. We come back and say, so what? What did you learn? And therefore, Shine is just packed full of things that we've learned over the years, of things that we think add good value to anybody in any type of work. For, for me, going through it, there were bits that were like, you're wonderful, you're amazing, you're marvellous. And it just, it felt a bit insubstantial. I would just wonder... You know how you give substance to those things. In the so, what the challenge? Let's go back to your job at Bass Breweries. Yeah, yeah. Someone's at Bass Breweries, been there twenty years. Someone turns up and says you're amazing. I, I, what? Talk me through how that transformation process actually works. When yeah, I mean, telling people they're amazing doesn't make much difference, right. truth be told. So um, I think it's good to be reminded about it, but people have to have some type of visceral experience to go, actually, I am pretty amazing. I've got a lot of good stuff going on. Um, and, and, and therefore, in the books, yes, they are positive because we know positive psychology is, is very useful for people. If you've got a negative bias, you will always see why things don't work. So yes, we, we accentuate that. But the important thing is people make sense of it themselves. I, I've got a story maybe that could illustrate that. So I was working with um, with Unilever um, a couple of years ago. Um, I, I run workshops in my house down in Lyme Regis, and we had a, a five-day retreat. And it was for some of the research guys who, who do all their insight. And um, on the first day, there was a, a lady there, Stacey, who, um, who'd come in who was very professional, slightly prickly, you know, had a lot going on in her life, and therefore was quite stressed. And on the last day, we get them to sort of say where their journey has got them to and what their learning is, is, be, is going to be and what they're going to do differently as a result. And she, she told this story. She said when she joined Unilever 12 years before as a graduate trainee, um, she was all optimistic and shiny and bright and passionate about what she could do. And they did one of these um, insight immersions where you go off in an air-conditioned bus and you go and see how people use Unilever products. Now, in her case, she's from Durban, so she went to a township and, um, and she saw how people with a lot less resource, you know, cooked and cleaned and lived their lives. And obviously, it's quite an emotive experience and, um, and you know, she was quite moved by seeing this. And on the way back to the bus with all these VPs and presidents, she heard this noise coming from a disused tyre by the side of the road. So she went to investigate and within it, she found three abandoned puppies. Now, she knew she couldn't save them all, but she did decide she could save one. So she picked it up and took it on the bus, at which point everyone just ridiculed her pretty much. They were like, oh, Stacey, you know, you have to firm up. You've got to be more professional. You, you can't just go with your emotions like this. You will not get, get along. Um, anyway, she sat in my house and she'd realized that, that she'd done exactly that. She spent 12 years becoming the person that she thought they wanted her to be. And therefore, in her terms, she had stopped picking up puppies. Now, I think that's what happens to all of us at work. We, we tend to socialise the norms. We emulate the leaders um, so that we can fit in. And that's kind of how we learn and grow. But by doing so, we often lose touch with what it is about us that is special and unique and fabulous. Um, and and by, by that happening, we don't shine as brightly as we could. We don't self-express. We don't take as much risk. We don't bring as much passion to play. Ability. 
Okay, that's a great story of her because like I chat to a couple of people who have used up in your Elvis and yeah. and and like they said, you know, some of them spoke very highly of it, but said like it's phenomenally expensive and you know it's very difficult, big investment for I think you mentioned sort of you know seven figure something like big investments for companies. I'm trying to think if anyone listening to this today, what could they? use to try and change is it about attitude would would you frame it as about attitude and energy um well there's very much um a, a, a big component that's about attitude and energy very much so 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 what, what we tend to do is we teach people some very simple things they can do differently every day that um that will you know change things up a bit and it might be simple stuff about how they get the energy right for any interaction so it's amazing how many people turn up to meetings. They've got no idea why they're there, how they should be, what the vision success is, who the people are in the room with them, what their, their human connection with those people is. It's simple stuff like that that can make a difference in everything that they do. So we give them tangible, tangible practical things they can do differently. But naturally, uh, people won't implement those unless they see a benefit and unless they make sense of it for themselves and their lives. So um, a lot of the benefit that people will talk about after doing Up In Your Elvis is that they believe in themselves more. They have a clearer view of who they are, what makes them special, how they can amplify that every day. And, and a lot of people say, yes, the tools and the techniques and these approaches are very useful, but the most important thing is actually that they love being themselves and they love the opportunities that they've got to sprinkle a bit more magic on the stuff they do every day. So as I've gone through this and, you know, I've, I've interviewed scores of people now, and broadly, the discussions I've had tend to fall into science or snake oil to some extent. Give me the stump speech. T- tell me, like, the proven evidence how this works. Well, what we do, so, you know, because I've, I've come from an innovation background, I've spent decades measuring innovation. <clears throat> and I've decided it just doesn't work. There's no good measures for innovation. So the way that we do things is we just collect great stories. That's what we do. So... It's very important when we're doing a change program to get some evidence of success really early on and actually attach an ROI to it. So uh, we, will, we will make sure we get one of those early on. And usually what happens then is the board will go, fine, I've seen the success and therefore I can relax because I know it's working. And actually then a lot of the personal stuff can carry on. So a Unilever example, you know, we, we knew from the work that we did early on that they saved almost half a million pounds worth of agency fees because they started to run stuff they wouldn't usually run themselves. And therefore, we said there's an ROI. And therefore, actually, a lot of the leadership change can then come through. When, when we worked with ITV, um, they were um, putting Coronation Street out for pitch for sponsorship, expecting to get a lot less than before because viewers were going down. And uh, using our approaches, they got you know a record deal. We got an ROI, so now we can carry on. So that's that's our approach because I think you can spend a lot of time measuring things that aren't that important. We do naturally plug into measures that are already there. So you know a lot of companies will have an audit around people's engagement. You know how well um, developed they're going to be. We, you know we'll, we'll tap into those, but actually, usually we can get some evidence of our own that's a lot more exciting, quite frankly. Give me your take on the connected world. How can all these things help us deal with a world where there's relentless emails and, yeah. and, and more demands on us? Yeah, well, I mean, it's an extraordinary time, isn't it? I mean, we, we are um, 24-7. We are connected. Uh, our attention is, is, is demanded. And, um, and for a lot of people, it's a bit too much. And learning how to deal with that is important. Now, I would never say we turn back time because obviously the opportunities that we can have from that connected world are extraordinary. But as it's developed, we haven't really. We haven't really learnt 
how to manage that well so that it just adds value to our lives rather than actually becomes a bit onerous. So, so I think um, a, a lot of the um, the stuff in Wake Up, for example, is about learning how to step back from that a little bit, how to create space so that actually we can be a bit more aware of who we are and what's going on. There's there's a lot of research that is suggesting that the temptation to multitask, which we obviously do when we're fully connected, um, has quite an impact on the way that we process. So we're becoming shallower frankly. And, and actually, what you really need to do to be really creative and to create as much value as you can in your life is to have times when you are much deeper with your focus. So a lot of wake up is about saying, actually, how do you step back from that and, and be more aware? So one of the uh, analogies we, we use there is um, we've all had the experience of driving a long distance in a car and we get to the destination and we can't remember large chunks of the journey. Um, and that happens basically because our brain is trying to save energy. So our conscious brain is like a gas guzzling V8. It uses loads of, loads of energy. And we all know that because if we've ever learnt a new instrument or a language, we tire quite quickly. So what our brain does really smartly is it tries to save energy by switching to subconscious. And the way the subconscious works is um, it looks at our situation today and says, where have I seen something like that before? If it looks familiar, I'm going to assume it's exactly the same. So therefore, I can depower the conscious brain and work off habit. Now, in doing so, you save lots of energy. It's more like a Tesla, the way that it runs. But it means that we spend large chunks of our life on autopilot. And, and actually, the connected world almost necessitates that because we have so much information to deal with, we just react to things really subconsciously. And I think to really live a great life, we need to be able to step back from that. So the latest research is suggesting we spend almost 80% of our life on autopilot. So wake up is all about using very simple things, maybe once or twice or three times a day, so that actually you step back and you can ask yourself, well, what am I doing right now? You know, Am I using my talents? Am I using my attention to do stuff that creates the most value? rather than just being swept away on busyness. So should we talk through a couple of the examples yeah, of course. in Wake Up? So it's a Wake Happy Up, to. not only a book, it's an app as well. It is an app, yeah. And, and it, it seems like it's, I mean, it's, it's one of those uh, those books that invites you to scribble in it, invites you to, to participate, to actively make changes to what you're doing. And, and the app's the, the same theme. Do you want to give us some ideas on how you came up with the ideas in it? Yeah, certainly. So, um, I mean, there's lots of very simple activities in there. Some are more phys physical. They might be about nutrition or exercise. Some might be a bit more mental about how you focus your attention um, and how you, you clear yourself from the busyness. Some might be a bit more emotive and, and it's all about helping you tap into those emotions and use them well. Some might be about connectivity and about how well connected you are to the people who are important in your life. Um, so, so basically, I just, you know, I, I generated lots of them. I've, I've been experimenting with this stuff for a long time, so I know what works for me. I asked all the people I thought who were great at, um, at actually making sure they had good energy, um, you know, in the work that they do. Um, and, and as time goes on, we're starting to get other people suggesting them. So the great thing about the app is that what you do there is you, you try some things out, you rate it so that it can learn what works for you. And you can actually add up exercises that you find are exciting. And then other people can copy yours. So actually, it's, it's user-generated stuff. So I'm hoping there'll be thousands of different things. And the, the beauty of this stuff is that what works for one person might not work for another. So it's all about experimenting and, and seeing you know, how you get benefit. So we work with um, Psychologies Magazine for, for 12 months, getting a load of their readers and bloggers to try these things out to see what worked for them. So that you know, it wasn't just theory. We actually had some practical experiences going on, and it was fascinating. You know, um, people got amazing benefits from things I was quite surprised by, and vice versa. I thought some things were a shoe in for you know big change. 
no impact at all. And that's the nature of it. But um, what we did find that the people that experimented with it over that 12 month period, especially the bloggers, a lot of them had challenges with all sorts of things, you know, a lot of mental health issues, which a lot of us suffer from, anxiety, you know, even depression, self-esteem issues, and they all improved quite dramatically by trying these things out. So I see it as just a, a massive experiment. If you go in with good energy, you, you give it a go, some will win, some will not, but you will get benefit over time. We used a very simple technique that we, we teach a lot of our clients, which we use actually for brainstorming, which is called talk it out, where you go off in a pair, one of you rants about your brief, the other one just listens. And over, over the years, we've, we've noticed that people come back with great insight and often great ideas off the back of it. But nearly everyone comes back and say, I, I feel better. So we just did a little freebie gig where we got a load of people together in London, a load of people together in Lyme, and we just said, why don't you just talk about your life and just see, see if it helps? And the number of people that showed up who went, oh, this isn't going to help, you know, I'm here, I'll give it a go, but I can't imagine it's going to have a benefit. Half an hour later, they came back going, wow, revelation, I'm so much clearer on where I was at. And, and those people, because they had that cynicism at the beginning, they've just got this little superpower. So I, I personally I quite like working with those types of people. Simple insight is we don't often get to talk about our lives uh, without being edited. So we often speak in sound bites, you know, here's my bit, there's your bit. And if you don't get much processing. Now, if you walk and you talk, um, we all process kinesthetically. So the, the walking helps free things up. No one's looking at you, you're walking side by side, so you don't feel like you need to edit yourself too much. And we give them seven and a half minutes just to go flat out. Now, over seven and a half minutes, what tends to happen is you run out of your normal story that's kind of in your conscious brain, which is your story about what's going on in your life. And actually, if you just keep talking, other stuff bubbles up. Some of the stuff you might not be at all aware of. Right, so let's be really clear. So they're going for a seven and a half minute walk. Yeah. And one person is talking. One person. And the other person is listening. Absolutely. Got it. The other person does not interrupt, otherwise you end up having a conversation. That's what, not what we want. So if you go for seven and a half minutes, um, eventually you get a little bit bored maybe of what you're saying or you, know, you run out of story. And if you just keep talking, every now and again you will say something. And actually as you say it, you have a bit of a reaction. You, you feel something physically. And, um, and often that's our subconscious saying, hey, pay attention. There's something going on here that maybe you hadn't thought of before. And often what people feel when they come back is they just get a lot more clarity about things that they haven't been paying attention to, things that were bothering them that they weren't so aware of, stuff that actually, if they got more of in their life, they'd be super excited by. And just in doing that, they come back obviously with a bit more energy and a bit more focus of what they want to do differently into the future. That's interesting because the, one of the ones I was trying at the weekend was your lung exercise, your breathing exercise, where right. you said, you know, we, we don't use the bottom third of our lungs. And it almost, you're saying the same there, aren't you? You say, you're saying by going seven and a half minutes into what we would normally finish in three, yeah. we're going into the bottom half of our of our consciousness to some extent. We're, we're reaching into places we don't normally reach. Absolutely. So nobody knows exactly how much of our brain is conscious versus subconscious, but we know the, the latest research is suggesting it's somewhere between 5 and maybe 15% of our brain is conscious. Therefore, actually, there's so much stuff that we're not really aware of that is key to the way that we react to the world, the way that we show up with our energy, the way that we process. And therefore, if we can start to tap more of our subconscious, uh, number one, we'll have much better ideas, much more creative ideas, because obviously there's more processing going on there. But also, we'll start to get more of an understanding of what's important. So if you can learn how to access that in a more everyday human approach, which is what Talk It Out does, I think it's yeah great therapy, and we feel good about it, but we can also come up with much better ideas.
So one of the most important parts of a, of a healthy work culture is that people take responsibility for their own learning and growth. So I, I used to do a lot of work years ago with Dan Walker, who was head of talent at Apple, and he was a fascinating character. He was one of the first people I know who banned appraisals, annual appraisals. And, and now people are catching on. Accenture have done it. A lot of people are realizing that sitting down once a year and going, how have I done, is not the most useful way of making sure that people grow to their full potential. So what he used to do is he used to go around um, Apple and he used to ask how people are doing. And if people couldn't say, he'd run to their boss and shout at them because he thought it was the boss's fault. Now, I don't think it's the boss's fault. I think it's your fault. If you don't know how you're doing, it's because you're not asking the right questions. So one of the most impactful things we do in any culture is we teach people how to demand feedback every day. If you're having a meeting, if you're having an interaction, you know, if it's an hour in your diary, you stop at 45 minutes to say, well, okay, tell me, what did I do that was brilliant? And what could I do even better next time? And you capture that information down and you start to see themes coming out. Now, by doing so, um, when it does come to, you know, your appraisals, it's very easy then to say, well, look, I seem to be very good at this, but this is where I need some help. And because you demanded the feedback yourself, you get the context, you own it, you make sense of it. And therefore, I think you will have much greater chance to actually learn and grow. So a big part of a creative culture for me is one that experiments constantly. And actually, with the way that business is now, if you're not experimenting, you're gonna be dead quite quickly. Now, experiments are very expensive if you're not good at learning. So teaching people how to do that and own it themselves, I think is hugely powerful. So one thing that, that we've got people doing recently is um, when you wake up in the morning, I mean, so many people, the first thing they do is reach their email and actually they are then busy until they're back in bed. So one simple thing to do is, is go outside for the first 10 minutes of every day, sit quietly, nothing digital anywhere near you and just reconnect with who you are, what's going on, what important thing you need to achieve that day. I'm a huge believer if you know at the start of every morning what the big thing is you need to achieve and you don't do anything until it's done, we get much better work. Right, so talk me through this. Am I allowed the radio on before I do it? I, I would personally just go out absolutely clean. So, right. so your brain is, is, is not congested, it's not full of stimulus. Because actually the temptation for us a lot, a lot of the time is just to get more candy. And, and keep filling, you know, it because it gives us a wonderful dopamine hit each time. I so, suspect this might work better when you've got a nice house in Lyme Reaches. Then it's, than, uh, it than has advantages. Hacking. It does have advantages. <laughs> but a, a lot of a lot of folk who do it in town, um, you know, they might just look out of a window. Uh, if you can connect with nature, it does help. But it's the peace and the space, because right. generally we don't have much reflection time in life and, and actually that reflection time is super valuable um, being busy is, is I mean it's such a drug for us we just love it and we get caught in it and it feels like we're being amazingly productive but often we're not because often we're actually spending our time doing the wrong stuff so if it just takes 10 minutes at the start of a day to make sure you do at least one of the right things and you do it brilliantly I think it pays off where'd you keep your phone then my phone would not come out with, I, I don't have a phone anywhere near a bedroom, it's in an office, locked away in a little cupboard. Phones are locked away from you? Well, when, I, when I'm doing that stuff, definitely, yeah. Right. Yeah, and I'm also a massive believer in not doing email as you go through the day. I'm a big believer in zoning stuff. So, you know, there's a time in your diary where you do email, and the rest of the time it's off. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I do understand there are certain jobs where you can do that, but I just, th <laughs> I just think... The reality for a lot of people is that that it proves incredibly difficult. Yeah, well, it is, and and, and actually, we, we get caught in a culture where it's expected, unless you manage it very deliberately yourself. I was I was reading some ridiculous stat of something like seventy percent of email is responded to within a minute. I mean, that's crazy, isn't it? That means you're just sitting there waiting for stuff to come to you. Now, um, but it does raise an expectation, you see, because then consequently, when you're in an environment where people do respond like that. 
when someone doesn't reply for three hours, you start depending on that person less. Absolutely. I mean, I suppose the question is, you know, you know, how do you add value? If you're responding that quickly, I would say basically you're an administrator. That's what you're doing. You are just responding to stuff that comes to you. Uh, I think that's superficial because that's a bit like saying in conversation, you know, I, th- I think in truth, what it is, it's, a, it's an evolution of the way that email works. For, for me, evolution is discursive and rapid fire. So it's like, it's like lines in a conversation rather than, you know, if I get an email that's two pages long, takes me two days to reply to that. If I get an email that's one line long, then I'll reply with one line instantly. So it just depends. It, for me, it's an evolved form of conversation in some ways when I'm using email like that. And I can understand that. I mean, I, I think, you know, there is a time when bouncing off stuff quickly can be very useful for us. I also would suggest that there are times that actually doing that shallow type of processing isn't useful for us because actually what you tend to do is quite iterative work and it tends to be quite incremental in its thinking. So there are times we want to think bigger. There are times we want to step back from stuff and actually say, okay, now what could be? If I was really to dream right now, what could I produce as far as this piece of work is concerned? And I don't think that suits itself to doing quick fire emails. So a lot of, a lot of my suggestions here would be saying, be aware and actually choose what's needed here. The, the best creative leaders I, I know are brilliant at actually being able to answer that question. And there are times that iteration is good and there are times that big think is good. And you have to set up very different kind of energetic contracts, behavioural contracts, depending on those two, those two questions. And so what's the question? What's needed what's here? Needed here? What's needed here? Because I can guarantee what's needed here is not what was needed yesterday. You know, things have changed. What's needed here, you know, I, I suppose what you're asking here is, what do I need to do to get myself in the right place for the work that I'm doing? N- number two, what do I need to do with the other people that I'm working with? And number three, what's the context of the work? Because actually, if it's about just playing with an agenda for a meeting tomorrow, we do it really fast on an email, that's absolutely fine. If it's about coming up with some new platforms for a big innovation, best not do that on email. Best create some proper space to invest some time in thinking in something creative. So so a story of, of something we've done quite recently. So we're working with... Um, the top 65 people in an organisation, a very big FMCG, one of the biggest on the planet. And, um, and 65 people, they wanted to come up with some ideas on the future of their business. And, um, and ordinarily, if you were to take the big insights and the big trends of what's going on and think about those things creatively, you'd be there for weeks. So, so we, we did some of these human approaches. And actually, we did a talk it out with them. We got them to go outside and do something incredibly human. And um, what was fascinated by uh, what was fascinating about it was that when they came back, they had a very different energy. They were um, way more excited about the possibility in the future. They they practically came up with over 100 ideas. Um, they implemented over 20, one of which made 35 million quid. And I can guarantee, if we'd have used traditional approaches, we'd still be there today. So I am a huge fan of trying to make creativity and and leadership. Human, energetic, playful and fun because actually everyone's gagging for it. And as long as we can show people that there's a benefit to it and there's an ROI and we're not doing this just for the fun of it, it's not all about beanbags and pixie dust and fairy lights, which is the old way I think of thinking about it, then you know it can only make business better. Thank you to Chris Barris-Brown. Like I say, I really enjoyed his book, Wake Up. And that's just lots and lots of ways to inspire yourself and and think of different ideas. Consider it like a, a, a workbook, something to scribble in. You can always connect to me on LinkedIn. And 
you can follow us on Twitter. For example, I tweeted out, I, I wrote a piece about laughter for, for the BBC this week. I tweeted that out. So you can follow us on Twitter by searching eatsleepworkrepeat.fm. See you next time.